I come this morning to encourage you as it regards Luke 17 and what we've been studying in the book of Acts and to try to make some sense of this thing for us so that we're not disconnected from what we're reading and studying. And I know that as we study these passages in Acts, the average reaction from many people is, I know you're not expecting us to do what Paul did. I mean, some of you won't admit that, but as you've been studying along with us and listening to the messages, I'm sure that sometime along the way, you have entertained this notion that says, my God, if I've got to be what Paul was, I'm not going to make it. If I have to be what Timothy and what Silas and Barnabas were, I'm not going to make it. And I came to more this morning to dispel the notion that we all have to operate like Paul's and Barnabas's and Peter's and Silas's and Timothy. That it is possible for us to care about the lost and not have to be put in jail necessarily because we all don't have the same gifts. And so we all can't do the same thing. We can pursue the same mission. But each of us must pursue that mission in terms of who we are and what God has blessed us with. So I want to try this morning, as Brother Jerry does in the Sunday morning, Sunday school, and as we continue to talk about evangelism and how we need to reproduce ourselves to make sure that this church is here 25 years down the road. We can't wait 20 years to make that happen. We've already been back there. So today we keep asking ourselves, what can we do? What can we say? How can we say it to get people to understand that there is a mission that the church has that is more important than any other mission in the world? And that is preaching the good news of the gospel to lost men and women. We want to try to navigate that a little bit this morning, and I hope you can understand what we're trying to say. It's so good to see you. There are some that we haven't seen in a while, and I'm glad you're back. There's some who are just consistently here, no matter, it seems, whatever they're dealing with, they make it their business to get here, to support the church and to worship, which is most important. So... We thank God for you. If there are visitors in our audience today, we're always grateful to have you. And if nobody says anything to you afterwards, I want you to understand that you are welcome. You are of concern to us. Your soul is important to us. I don't, I don't believe that will ever happen, that you will leave here without somebody greeting you in an appropriate way, but just in case, I want you to know that we are uh, thankful to our God to have you here today. Is everybody all right this morning? Amen. All right? You need to worship today out of gratitude that God has allowed us to be here at this place. And it doesn't last very long, but it's, it's talking about things. It allows us to talk about things that are eternal. So don't just look at this. Look at eternity. Now, I want to talk to you today about evangelistic styles. Evangelistic styles. 
And I want to look at, I want to compare for us the evangelistic style of a Paul as opposed to a Peter and then compare those two to a blind man over in John chapter 9. And the, the goal of the message today is to get us to understand that we as individuals need to use what God has given us in order to evangelize the world. Now, I'm going to have a challenge for you at the end of this message today. It's not one that we cannot do, carry out, but a challenge nevertheless. I don't know if you've paid any attention, but if you've ever gone over to the lakeshore area around Sam's and all of that area back over in there, periodically, I've gone through there and there'll be a guy out on the grass and he'll have those huge signs, you know, and a megaphone. And as you ride by, he's preaching and screaming and yelling. And he's saying some, so what some people would consider to be inappropriate and rude kinds of things. Even on those signs, even though it's, it's biblical, you know, to only point out to people as they pass by, repent or perish, uh, obey or be lost, obey God or go to hell. That's his style. I guess he's using what God gave him, but that's not my style. I doubt very seriously if I could have been converted listening to somebody out on the corner blasting me every time I rode by, telling me I'm going to hell if I don't stop and listen to them. I, I don't think that would have done it for me. It probably does it for some folk. But I just use that to let you know how diverse God is in using our talents. Now, beyond all of this, I have developed an attitude through my study of God's word and my small understanding of him because I, I don't think we've scratched the surface of understanding the God we serve. There's just so much we can know. But I have, I, I have learned some things about God in my existence on this earth and being a child of God. I've learned, number one, that when we think we're at a deficit, that's when God goes to work. Have you found that to be the case? I found as well that sometimes God allows us to have a deficit so that he can step in and show himself to us. See, often in our heads, God doesn't show up when everything is going well. It's when the majority of folks say, I'm finished, I'm done, and only four or five or six are left. It's that four, five, or six that God will use to do what 200, we thought 200 were needed to do. That's the God we serve. He's been that way all of our lives. When, when Gideon prepared for the army, he cut his men down significantly to 300 from thousands. Why? So that he said to, Je uh, to Gideon, when I give you this battle, when I give you the victory, 
You won't be tempted to think you did it because you had enough folk with you or because you had enough money in the bank. So I believe that God will sometimes allow us to be depleted in our efforts or depleted in our funds so that he can have an opportunity to step in to our lives. But before he'll do that, we've got to have faith that he will. We got to have faith that he will. And sometimes it takes difficult situations to grow faith. So I get suspicious when I read, when I read for the first time about Paul and Silas being in that Philippian jail. Because I know that the fact that God allowed them to go there means he's going to do something miraculous to bring them out. Because it's not his will that his children be imprisoned. And especially not for preaching the truth. But they, uh, God allowed it. He allowed them to be beaten. He allowed them to be beaten on multiple opportunities. He allowed them to be lied on so that they could be put into situations where he would have the opportunity to show himself. Sometimes we're so busy being angry about the situation that we forget that the situation is an open door for God to enter and to show us some things. So listen to this. To the degree that we keep ourselves in our comfort zone, we will see less of God. Because God doesn't show up when you're comfortable. God shows up when you're uncomfortable. When you're being tempted to move outside of your comfort zone. So what I want to say to you this morning is there are at least three examples in this chapter uh, 17, uh, one in chapter 17, one in Acts chapter 2, and one in John chapter 9 that I'd like you to consider this morning. Because contrary to popular belief, we don't all have to preach the same way Paul did. All right. We don't all have to preach the way Barnabas did. We don't all have to be encouragers. There are other works for us to do. Yes. And if we're latched on to the wrong thing, then it may not end the way the Lord would have it to end. So let me continue and, and hasten on to getting this message to you by saying this. Negative thinking about evangelism is a tragedy for the church. But what's even a bigger tragedy is that people who need the Lord are dying without him. So what do we do? Well, one of the first things we need to do is stop using these stereotypes for evangelists. You know, there was a study done some years ago where a uh, hundred or two people were asked what they felt, uh, who, who were among the people that they really trusted, who were among the people who were people of integrity and honesty. And TV evangelists and that whole group, us as preachers, came across like third or fourth from the bottom, which insinuated that folk don't trust TV evangelists. And really, a lot of other evangelists that are out there, they like politicians better than they did the preachers. 
Because the average attitude of some folk is that evangelists, when we think of evangelists, we think of the bakers of the world who have taken money from people and are in jail because they've defrauded somebody. And it's very easy for folk to pass that same thing on to you if you say, well, I'm the evangelist. What some folks see is, oh, you thieving. That's what you're doing. You taking those folk money. And often when we invite people to church, I've had people tell me, man, I'm not bringing that money down there to you. Because that's the way they see it. I had one of my old friends that I used to talk to all the time. He finally saw me on TV and he told me, he said, Elijah, I saw you on TV preaching and you were sweating and, and, and he said, I, I got caught up in it and I loved what you were saying. And he said, when you finished, I took my money out of one pocket and put it in the other. <laughs> so let me know that he, he, he liked what I was saying, but I'm not coming down there and putting anything in the basket. Because that's what they summarize evangelists as doing. That's all you're concerned about. You'll pay. I'm thankful to God that I'm not that person. I haven't always been there, but God has brought me a mighty long way in terms of how I see what I do. But uh, among Christians, there should be as many kinds of evangelists as there are types of personalities in the church. Listen to what I'm saying. God has custom designed each of us with unique personalities. Believe me, there's nobody here like you. That's something we can brag about. When God made you, he did break the mold. You can't be me and I can't be you. You are who God created you to be. That's why we don't all look alike, we don't talk alike, we don't walk alike, we don't think alike, we don't see things alike, because each one of us is our own individual, unique personality. So really we're not being honest with ourselves when we try to be somebody we're not. And if you are, you're a troubled soul. You're a troubled soul if you latched your attention on someone else and you're living to be like them. Because you can't be them. We, can't, we can be like Jesus, but we can't be Jesus. The Bible says he was tempted in every point like we are, yet without sin. We haven't done it. That's why it compares us and shows us who Jesus ought to be to us. So every one of us has this unique personality. We have a unique temperament. We have unique talents, backgrounds. You've noticed that a lot of us can sing, but some of us can sing a whole lot better than others. That's God-given. You can't blame that person. Even if you want to make a record, if you don't have the voice, not happening. And it's a gift that God has laid on you. If math comes easy to you, if chemistry and physics come easy to you, that's a gift. It's a certain level of thinking that God has given you that he sure didn't give me. Because I just can do the checkbook sometimes. I can count what I have in my pocket, but don't ask me to do no geometry and trigonometry. That's not me. And I'm all right with the fact that it's not me. But I have to come to understand as well that there's some things spiritually 
that I may like to do, but they're just not me. God hadn't given me that peace. He's given it to somebody else. And in that light, I want to say to you this morning, when you share your faith, which is what the study of Acts is designed to do, to get us to a place where we are more apt to share our faith. When we share our faith, we can be ourselves. We can be ourselves. If you're an introvert, that is somebody who likes being alone, you don't have to become an extrovert because you decide to teach somebody. You don't now have to fight against your personality and go out there and be with people all the time if you are indeed not that. That's not what the Lord is asking us to do. He's not asking us to be somebody we're not. If you are fun-loving, you don't have to become serious and scholarly. Learn how to exercise some evangelistic responsibilities being who you are. Not trying to be who I am. If you are a new Christian, you don't have to wait until you've been in the church 30 years and attended Bible college to start witnessing to somebody. You can do that right away based on what God has given you. You don't have to fit into someone else's mold in order to evangelize. Here's the greater point. There are people around you who need to hear the good news from somebody just like you. While you're trying to be somebody else, they need you to say it out of your own personality, out of your own talents and gifts, and to that degree, God has custom designed each one of us. I want to talk to you briefly about three possible styles you can have. In Acts chapter 17, of course, we're dealing with Paul and Silas, and Paul had his own way of evangelizing. And this morning, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I want you to look at the sermon that he preached in Athens. And I want to show you this morning how it was Paul's, the Bible begins in Acts chapter 17, talking about what, Paul, what was Paul's custom. Do you have a routine that includes evangelism? Let me ask that again. Do you have a daily routine that includes anything evangelistic? The Lord said that Paul in Acts chapter 17, had a custom when he came, went from one city to another. And that custom was to go straight to the synagogue on the Sabbath day because if you wanted to teach Jews to whom the gospel was promised first, then you needed to be at the place where they congregated on the Sabbath day. That was the synagogue. So it was Paul's pattern that whenever he would go to a new city, he would make his way to the synagogue first. And the Bible says in this particular connection that when Paul arrived at Thessalonica where they had a synagogue, he reasoned with the people for three Sabbath days. The Bible also tells us that in that city, later on in the chapter around 22 and following, that there were Epicureans and Stoics in the city. They described those people as those who enjoyed nothing better than sitting around entertaining new ideas. These were the philosophers in Athens 
who would sit around like people do in the barbershop now or at the Waffle House and just entertain new things that are happening, new doctrines that are being taught. Well, Paul was this kind of evangelist. Paul was intellectual. Some people have an intellectual style in their evangelism. And they are envied by a lot of other people. I remember as, as we're talking about Brother Jack this morning, Jack Evans. Jack is a perfect example of an intellectual style of, of, of evangelist. If you've ever heard him preach, he's kind of, he's gonna give you what you need the way you need it. He can talk to presidents, and he can talk to people in the alley. See, there's some folk who can talk to people in the alley, but they can't talk to presidents because that's not their gift. They don't have the language. They don't have the education. They don't have the gray matter because God didn't give it to them. But he did give it to some other folk. And Paul was one of those people. When he, talked, when he got to Athens, Paul appealed to them just the way he needed to appeal to them. He knew who he was talking to. He was talking with philosophers. And Paul was no country bumpkin himself. Paul sat personally at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the great rabbis of that time. Sat at his feet and was taught. If Paul lived today, we would be describing him probably as somebody who lived in Boston and got his PhD from Harvard. He was an intellectual man. He was strong in his ability to communicate and to logically take people from one step to the next. And when he entered Athens, he didn't enter there as someone who was to be confrontational as much as he did someone who was being intellectual. There are some folk who need an intellectual style before they can hear it. There's some smart folk who won't talk to people who are not smart. They can't tell them nothing. And by, they gave smart by degree attainment. Can you sit and reason with me? Notice the scripture says that Paul reasoned with them. And when you're reasoning with somebody, you're not necessarily arguing, but you're meeting them where they are. And you're throwing out stuff that they, they can respect. And when you finish, they say, oh, he's... He's, he's got something going for him. You know, I remember, since we're speaking of Brother Jack, when Jack Evans debated Wallace Muhammad some, some many years ago, and they were debating about the use of the scriptures or the Quran and where the Church of Christ and Muslims, what they had in common and what they didn't have in common. And Wallace Muhammad, during the debate, kept asking Jack questions that demanded and demanding a yes or no answer. Can a man be saved by faith? And Jack would say, well, yeah, but there's more. He said, no, 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 but. Give me a yes or no answer. Stop trying to explain stuff away. And he asked Jack two or three more questions and stopped him and said, no, you keep trying to go beyond yes or no. So what Jack said, well, let me ask you a question. Did you stop beating your wife yet? Oh, it takes intelligence to come back with something like that. Because now Wallace want to tell him, well, he said, no, yes, 
or no? Since you're demanding yes or no answers, tell me, have you stopped being your wife yet? See, that requires an explanation. That may not be yes or no. If you say no, then that indicates you're still beating her. If you say yes, that indicated that you did beat her at one time. So some things are not just yes and no. They're not cut and dried like that. But thank God he had equipped Jack Evans and so many others with the ability to sit down with folks who think they're intelligent and to deal with them on their level. Somebody's got to deal with them. And God has given us the ability to do that. He gave Paul that ability. And when Paul walked into Athens, he didn't walk in saying, you folk are just as ignorant as you can be. He walked in and first appealed to their pride. He said, I can see that you're very religious folk. Read 17, if you haven't already. He said, I can see that you're very religious folk. Let's look down at around verse 22 and follow. The Bible says, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus in 22. The Areopagus is a building, the ruins of which are still there in Athens today. But it was a building where the council used to go and entertain religious and even some civil legal actions. They equivalent to our Supreme Court in that day, in Athens' democracy. This is where the important people met. And Paul, having spent some time, the Bible says, Paul was the kind of man who would teach in the synagogue, and then when he left there, he'd teach people as he was walking through the courtyard. Whoever would listen as he walked from place to place, he would teach people. God didn't make a whole lot of Paul that we come in contact with. Paul, no matter what they did to him, never turned and went back. Never said, that's enough for me. Because God made Paul to do what he was doing and gave him the talents. And the personality, Paul was like that before he became a Christian. Even when he was persecuting Christians, he was at it day and night. That was his job. So God really called him because of what he'd given him in terms of his ability to keep doing things that are bringing him constant pain, constant imprisonment. They were trying to kill Paul. And then God put Luke with him. Because Luke was a physician. And Paul had just been beaten up. He was beaten up many times. Isn't God something that he put somebody with him? And Paul, the history says, was a, a, a note taker extraordinaire. Luke was. He could keep stuff in order. And what we have in the scriptures where he shows up is his many interviews with witnesses who saw what Paul had done. And then he, through God's guidance, linked up with Paul so that he could take care of him and that thorn in the flesh that he had that was bothering him. He was an intellectual style of evangelist. Now, Peter, in Acts 2, is more of a confrontational kind of evangelist. You know, we know, we know Peter. We know Peter as a guy who didn't mince words. He cut right to the chase. 
When we watch Peter in action in Acts chapter 2 and even before then, when they came to get Jesus to crucify him, it was Peter who pulled out his sword and tried to strike a man's head. He ended up cutting off his ear. But that was Peter. Peter was not about talking, he was about action. And he was an in-your-face kind of guy. No wonder God chose him to preach the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. All those people there needing to hear the truth, you don't need somebody preaching to them who's mealy-mouthed. You need somebody who's going to go straight to the matter. And that's exactly what, what Peter did. He was bold and direct, and he went right to the point. His verbal style sometimes came across as ready, fire, aim. But sometimes he did hit the target. But that was Peter. It's no wonder that God used him on that faithful, on that blessed day for so many. He was the original street preacher. Peter, preaching the first gospel sermon, and he didn't even need a megaphone. He told them who Jesus was in his sermon, and then he pointed his finger in their faces and said, you, that's as personal as you can get. And Peter wasn't afraid to say it. He said, you, with your, with your wicked hands and other wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, if that ain't in your face, I don't know what in your face is. Peter wasn't about being intellectual as much as he was about being in your face, telling you the truth, getting it done, and leaving it to you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he said, you put him to death. Now, that's about as confrontational as you can get. And many of the people listening to Peter in that crowd that day screamed out just a few weeks earlier, crucified. Some of those same people were in that, in that audience on the day of Pentecost. So this was very personal for them when Peter said, you did this. And other wicked men that you consorted with. And the Bible says when the people heard this, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they were cut to their hearts and asked Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter didn't miss his words. He didn't say, well, let me think about it. Let's talk about it. He said to him, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is intellectual in his style. Peter is confrontational in his style. And then we have a man in John chapter 9. The Bible doesn't even tell us his name just tells us that he was born blind and he wanted to see. And when we look at John chapter 9, verses, the first few verses there, we get the setting of just what was happening. But it's later on that we get the real deal about what happened after he confessed who he had been with. The Bible says, in John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, 
Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Then he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the scripture says once he had done that, he went and washed and came back seeing in verse number seven. And of course, you would think that everybody in the village would be happy for him. They weren't. They came questioning him about who had done for him what they had done. Now you imagine, you've been blind all your life, and now all of a sudden, because of an act of mercy, you can see. There are certain things you really don't want to talk about right there. Like, who did this for you? I wouldn't care who he is. All I know, this man said, is that I was blind, and now I see. He didn't have time for any theological arguments. He wasn't trying to be intellectual. He wasn't trying to be confrontational. He says, the only thing I can tell you that's of importance to me is that I was blind, and now I can see. So the third style is testimonial. That's where we come in. You may not be an intellectual style. Maybe that's not your style, and that's all right. You may not be confrontational. But what about testimonial? See, you don't have to be smart to give a testimony. You don't have to have an IQ off the scale to give a testimony. You don't have to be mad at anybody to give a testimony. And every one of us here has a testimony. Let me ask you something. How often have you related your testimony to somebody else? Wife, husband, children, friend, acquaintance, family, whoever. How often have you sat down and said, you know, I haven't always been the way I am now. You can share that with anybody. You don't have to get deep off in your stuff. But we all of us have a testimony that says, I'm not as ugly now as I used to be. At one time in my life, I was not believing what I'm now preaching to you. That's what Paul did. Everywhere he went, he related his conversion. He went right back to his conversion. Before he even started talking to him, he said, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I was on the way to Damascus to harm Christians. And he appeared to me and knocked me off my beast to the ground. Changed me. And folk, if that's, nothing you, if that's not something you want to share with other folk, then why not? Why not? That's the challenge I have for you today. As, as we leave this morning, let me ask you something. Let me ask you if you'll do that. Try this. Sometime between now and next Sunday, if the Lord allows us to come back, share your testimony with somebody. 
Oh, the door is open all the time. You don't have to have a platform either. You can just sit down with somebody you know and say, if you got a minute, I want to share something with you. Oh, yeah, when you open it like that, folks say, oh, yeah, I want to hear it. They think you're getting ready to tell them something about how broke you are or to ask if they could borrow a few dollars or I'm going through so much. I know I look like I'm doing all right, but child, I ain't doing all right. But they'll sit right there all day and listen to that. And then once they say, oh, sure, I got a few minutes. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. Oh, Lord. See, if some of them were honest, they would say, oh, you know, I thought you were going to talk about something else. I got to go. I really got to run. You know what I'm saying? But for every one of those, I guarantee you God will put in place somebody who needs to hear your testimony from your lips. Somebody that you can say to, I used to be where you are, but thank God through Jesus. That I met him one day, and let me tell you how he changed me. Oh, I didn't do it all at one time, but as I kept studying about it, I changed. And I am only who I am today because of having met Jesus. If Jesus hasn't brought about a change in your life, pray tell, what are you doing? See, you can't fake that. You can't think when you meet Jesus, you got to tell somebody you've been with him. Have you ever experienced the Lord and then had to call somebody and tell them how good he is? I want you to try that again today. Just in the spirit of getting us all to understand from the least to the greatest, from the, from the, the educated to uneducated, the rich to the poor, that God has a place for you in the evangelistic scheme. Stop downplaying what he has given you because you're impressed with somebody else's ability. Do what he's given you to do. And every one of us has a testimony. Now I know it's going to be difficult, especially for those of you who are young adults. I can imagine you meeting your friends at, at uh, uh, one of the neighborhood restaurants. You know what I'm saying? And y'all just out to have a, a nice time. And you saying to them, can I talk to you all about Jesus? They'd probably laugh you out of the place. Well, you know, yeah, you can talk to us, but now is not the time because we're getting ready to, you know what I'm saying? We're getting ready to eat and enjoy ourselves. We didn't come here to talk about Jesus. That may be the response you get. But for every one of those, there is another one who will say, Sure. And then let me tell you mine. Oh, what a class. What a beginning of a class. Those are the three styles I want you to know about that are revealed in the scriptures. But I want you to most importantly know that your, your evangelizing, your reaching out to lost souls is not totally dependent upon how smart you are or how much education you have. And I believe that there are some who feel not worthwhile because they can't teach the truth like somebody else can. Do you. Like we said this morning, get in where you fit in. 
Some people don't need to hear highfalutin words. Some people need to hear it just like it is. From somebody who can tell it just like it is. I used to be much uglier than I am now. And I'm talking about spiritually. Somebody, don't you think somebody needs to hear that? Somebody who's struggling and wondering, when is the Lord going to lift this burden from me? Somebody that you can tell, you know what, I had it. And just as surely as I'm sitting here, he lifted it from me. He took it from me. So my, my challenge to you today is to understand how powerful a message you have in your own testimony. We're not ex asking you to be Paul or Peter or Barnabas or Silas. Be you. Just be you and tell your story. Now, if you refuse to tell your story, then you need to ask yourself why. Am I ashamed to tell my story? We ought to be able to talk about it because we no longer who we used to be. Paul says, such were some of you when we talk about drunkenness and immorality and just all kinds of debauchery and sinfulness. Paul reminded those in Corinth, such were some of you, you know, but you've been washed, you know. So it's all right to say I used to lie, but the Lord taught me better. I used to be immoral in my thinking and my actions, but the Lord showed me better. It's all right. I want to ask you to consider that today, and I'll leave those few words with you just to encourage you that we need you in the evangelistic process. We really do. And the only way we're going to get the job done is to preach the word of God in its simplicity to the world who needs it so desperately. If you will. Accept that challenge this week to share your testimony with at least one person. It'll take you back, one. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, my wife and I are in the process of moving, and I get real mad with myself. And a couple of times in my life that I've moved, it shows me something about myself. If you want to know something about who you've been and who you are, move. Because you'll find yourself unpacking a lot of stuff that you've forgotten about. You know, and you run across things, it's like, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> you know, you'll run across things that you have, three or four of. It's like, they, we've just been hoarding. You know, stuff breaks down, it still looks clean and usable, so let's not throw it away. Let's just buy another one, but we're going to put this one in the garage just in case we decide to get it fixed. And you do that over 15 or 20 years, you find yourself with eight blenders, all kinds of crock pots, and, and, and all kinds of stuff that you just refuse to throw away. When we go into our spiritual dwelling, is there a lot of stuff there that we're just hoarding? That we don't even use anymore? That's just there. You know, well, it may be time to clean house and to move out some of the things that you've been living by for low these many years. I'm learning, and I'm kind of frustrated with myself. It's like, how in the world did you allow yourself to accumulate all of this stuff that nobody's benefiting from? 
still got shoes I wore one time. Suits with the tag still on. I liked it when I saw it in the store, and a year later I didn't like it no more. But I ain't giving it to nobody because I ain't even wore it yet. Hard stuff. When we got folk dying every day, those things have become our little gods. God with a little G. See, but Paul told those people, the Lord is not served by things you create and make. He doesn't need you to make no images of gold and silver and all this kind of stuff, which have become our little gods. Those are the things we love. I want to encourage you this morning to listen to this, this message and to embrace it. Don't leave it here. Take it with you when you go. And come back next Sunday and let's have a real good time talking about your experience. Your experience. If, you, if you're scared to do what anybody do with your mate, if you can't talk to them about how you came to Jesus, who can you talk to? You know, but it's good for you to just hear it again. It may remind you of something that you need to go back to. You've heard it, believe. Come being willing to repent this morning. Confess Christ as Lord. And if you're not a member of the body, according to Acts 2.38, you need to be. If you believe and are willing to repent and be baptized. That's the message today as we stand.